nation. I mean, essentially, we've been talking in the context in particular of Mystery Babylon, and of course you already know um, what we've discussed there. Uh, last week we talked about, uh, we've talked about two items, and this week I want to go a little bit further as it relates to the second item. So why would God uh, uh, bring judgment upon a nation? Well, there's a lot of things that we, we feel like God would provoke God to bring judgment. He's an incredibly patient God, first of all, isn't he? I mean, you and I are proof that he is a patient God. He's an incredibly patient God. But his patience will at some point in time have limits, right? And he has, uh, uh, I believe, he will at some point in time have a limit with uh, a nation. He certainly disciplined his own people. He didn't do away with them, but he did discipline, didn't them? Didn't he? So he, he allowed. Uh, uh, you can call it wrath if you want. You can call it discipline. In some cases, like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, it was we would clearly say both wrath and judgment, wasn't it? Nineveh. There was we see both grace and eventually. The judgment of God. A hundred years, roughly a hundred years after Nineveh repented, <clears throat> Nineveh was destroyed. Because you have to walk, look, and here's a, an insight for us. You have to remember when God is favoring a nation, that favor is contingent upon their walking in obedience to Him, right? And that's why at some point in time, if a nation gets too far away from God, God will sometimes use light kinds of discipline. And if a, if a nation responds in its course response, guess what? They, there's a bit of reprieve, if, if you'll let me say it that way. But if it continues to move further away, what, what happens? The judgment or the wrath or the discipline gets a little firmer, right? Just like a parent. You know, you start out saying, now don't do that again. But if, if a child does it again, say, now, this is my final warning. Don't do that again, or. And when they do it again, they get the or, right? And then now, now, just remember that. And then if they do it again, you realize what? Yeah, we're going to have to exact some, some greater discipline because it's not working. They're not, they're not getting it, and they're continuing in a path Okay, well, that makes sense in that uh, uh, context. Well, that's true of nations. It was true of Israel. When Israel walked in the statutes and the commands of God, what did they have, class? They had peace, Cliff. What else did they have? What's that? Okay, they had the provision of God, didn't they? What else did they have? They had the protection of God from their enemies, right? Anything else that they had? In a generalized sense, we could say they had the favor of God over them. He favored them. And, uh, and they would see his miracles on their behalf. But when they would go astray, God would bring, I, it's my observation, greater degrees of discipline until finally, for example, Israel, Jeremiah, uh, would go into captivity with Israel, though he had been warning them and warning them and warning them and saying, look, if you don't get this straight, you're going into captivity. By the way, did you know there came a point in time in the book of Jeremiah 
Jeremiah was praying that these people would get it, and God tells Jeremiah, stop praying for them. That's a spooky thought, isn't it? God says, don't pray for them anymore. Stop it. I'm not going to hear your prayer anymore. I hope that we're not too far gone. Amen? That God will still hear us pray, and we're going to keep seeking him for that. But isn't that, a, isn't that kind of a sobering idea when God says to the prophet, don't, stop praying for it. Don't pray for him anymore, Jeremiah. I'm not going to hear that prayer anymore. I have already decided now what I'm going to do. That's what he told Jeremiah. And so God has his limits. That's a lot of ways to get to that idea that God has limits. He is so incredibly patient. But there comes a point in time when God says enough is enough. And uh, I pray that we're not at that point. Hello, you too, right? That we're not at the point where God says. Now, I was reading some this week, and I was reading about how um, various movements of God through the ages. And one of the things that seems to be consistent is that before God brought any discipline upon people, he brought a move upon them first. He moved on them. Um, uh, and so that's why we pray God move. Uh, our 30 days of prayer that you've heard us talking about uh, is, is about a lot of things. It's going to be uh, about urgency and boldness to live our faith in a culture that's getting, uh, it was becoming more uh, clear which side you're on, right? And uh, urgency and boldness and, and those kinds of things. And we're going to pray about the reignite process, uh, a part of it that God would use us in fresh ways as we start uh, opening up more and more things. But uh, uh, we call on him as it relates in, in this third days of prayer, we'll be calling on him for, for a movement. You heard Bob say that for a movement uh, of God. And we want to see God move. And I believe and it's my personal opinion and that's what it is. So, you know, that may not give you any comfort when you lay your head on your pillow, but I believe that we are in a place to see God move. Now, I don't see God moving right now. There may be little pockets from time to time, and God does seem to do that where there are little pockets of God's movement. But in a general sense, I don't see God moving right now. I, right now. Right now, I don't see God raising up a, uh, a man for the hour like a prophet that would be raised up, or a Billy Graham is someone we could identify with. God raised him up for, for a, a work so that a nation looked and they, they listened to that messenger. Does that make sense on kind of a corporate level? I don't see that out there. Um, you know what the, like this or not, okay, but do you know what the, in the last several years, uh, you, it used to be, for example, when the media, the world, the non-Christian world would say, what is the face of Christianity? Who would they say? Billy Graham. And we would all agree with that, right? The, uh, do you know in the last few years who they are saying is the face of Christianity in America? Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. 
That's scary, isn't it? Uh, and uh, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy, so that's not personal. I'm just saying it isn't biblical either. All right? But I'll be honest, I don't see that man. It may be a woman. I don't know. I don't see that person rising up to become the kind of, of means by which God initiates a move. God can do it however he wants. He doesn't have to consult with me. So I want to say that too. But God has always had a, a remnant, and that will always be the case. That will be the case all the way through the tribulation. There will be a remnant. But so, um, yes. Those movements. Yeah. Yeah. The last movement uh, in America uh, was what we call the Jesus movement. I was telling our staff about that, Lance, this week, and I said, I'm kind of a byproduct of that myself. I was on the, the late uh, side of it. The Jesus movement, do you, you remember it was when the it was the, when the hippies got saved. That's the way I know to say it. The hippies got saved. And uh, the hippies got saved, and man, uh, God really moved across the country in the, a, a younger generation. By the way, most movements of God have started with a younger generation. Did y'all know that? The Haystack Revival. And um, uh, those are, most of them have start, started with the younger generation. That's why you pray for your students and your kids and all of that. But um, um, it, it started with the, the Jesus people. We began to call them the Jesus people. They were the hippies that got saved. We called them the Jesus people. And then the Jesus people, you know who they morphed into? The yuppies. Y'all remember yuppies? Uh, you ought to, because a whole bunch of you are yuppies. I, I, I'm in that category uh, of that age grouping. And they, they, now, I was on the younger side of the yuppies. A lot of you are real old yuppies. Um, but uh, at any rate, and th that's what they began. And, and listen, I was telling our staff about this, and I said, and the, the church kind of environment that we know today was it really built from the, the the, the large church, uh, highly organized and, and highly focused because that's how they were driven. And they became, that's who they became. They helped found and build uh, the, some of the greatest churches in America, uh, really. They, so, but it was a move of God, and that would have been in that same time frame. I, I really am, am prayerful and hopeful that God will move again. But... He does have his limits. So let me, let's, get to, let's get to the task here uh, tonight. So we talked about some reasons, biblical reasons, that God would wipe a nation out. And I have told you, I've preached this for years, uh, it's a historical fact that um, the average uh, lifespan of an empire is how long? About 200 years. 
the average of them, and we're not talking about other uh, small uh, nation states. We're talking about major empires about 200 years. The, there's one that skewed it. That's the Roman Empire. It lasted for about 500 years, but it, it is kind of an anomaly in the system. And America is already where Rome was when Rome collapsed. Uh, but that's not our subject. So, so uh, what might cause God to say, I've had enough? You know, well, the persecution, uh, we said uh, last week of God's people. The first thing that I gave you was the shedding of innocent blood. Oh, let me, let me do one other thing. Um, I had somebody ask me Sunday, and twice this week, they said, Pastor, have you ever considered putting together a book list? Um, and the answer is, it, it's funny, a, a woman asked me yesterday from our congregation, said, Pastor, would you consider doing a book list? And I just smiled. I said, well, that's interesting you asked because yesterday morning while I was spending time with the Lord, I had this overwhelming sense, you need to do a book list. And so I had two people in about three days that had asked me that. And I've been thinking about it and I've done some minor stuff. So uh, as time permits, and today I started working a little bit on one, I'm going to do some categorical kinds of book lists for you. One of which is going to be uh, on the uh, creation and evolution. What, what should I read or what should I pass along? And, um, and so I pulled today, I began composing that one in between some meetings that I had. Uh, I, I think I'm going to do one on eschatology or last days or end times. Would, would that, that be helpful to you? Uh, I showed my secretary uh, today, I said, now, to do that, we've got to figure out how to do the bibliography for, and I have about four stacks of books this high that sit in a certain place in my office that I have been reading over the last year during this series. Now, some of it's junk, okay, and I'm not going to recommend the junk to you because I've been reading it so I'll know what the junk is. But I'm gonna, would that be helpful to put together a bibliography of these kind of things? Then down the road, maybe I'm going to come back and do one on Christian living. Just to, Then maybe one on my favorite books. What are my favorite books and all that sort of So, So I, I'm going to work on that. And I, I will at some point, and we'll publish it in some way where you can have it and have it in hand, that, that kind of thing. But all right, so the shedding of innocent blood, that was number one. Y'all with me? Why God would uh, might uh, wipe a... A nation out, and we pointed to Jeremiah 19, 1 through five, uh, as it referenced that uh, it was going on. Uh, Israel was offering their own children on the uh, idols of of Molech, and uh, as just an example. The second thing we talked about, and we began. Then I want to give you a little a few sub points under this: the persecution of God's people. Uh, Revelation 17:6 says. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, who is the woman, class? Let's see if y'all been paying attention. Who's the woman? What's that? Mystery Babylon. Remember, and you know, of course, we won't go backtrack all the clues about that. But that's specifically, Revelation 17 and 18, uh, specifically are talking about Mystery Babylon. And it says of this if this is a, a nation state or a, uh, a nation city, which I believe it's some combination of that, as you know, America 
and um, possibly even the New York area. It says that the, the, this woman referred to there is drunk on the blood of the saints. It would mean that a nation had persecuted the saints. And, and literally to the point of death. That's hard for us to imagine right now in America. But it's getting easier. Hello? It's getting easier to say, yeah, I guess that could happen. I never thought it would, but I guess it could. Um, and so I, I, I'm afraid we're moving in that, at least that direction. So how will the persecution be carried out? All right. Uh, now, Mystery Babylon is a part of the Great Tribulation, and you need to know that there will be Christians dying in the Tribulation. Now, uh, I've clarified this before. I'll just say it quickly. Not from the wrath of God, but from the wrath of the Antichrist. Does that make sense? That's different. In other words, they won't be dying because God's pouring his wrath out on the believer in the tribulation. It'll be the wrath of the Antichrist who hates God and who hates the church and therefore hates followers of Christ. And he'll have that kind of freedom on some level. The church most likely will be underground by then. Okay, so how will the persecution be carried out? Number one, all right, and you can just jot these down if you want. Restrictions in religious broadcasting. That's the only way I know to say it. Restrict. That'll be one of the first things that they go after is, is they'll try to shut us down from getting the message out. Now, you would have thought that unusual until the last year. When now they're censoring anything that doesn't follow a culturally, politically correct agenda. And that includes the messages. I, I will not be surprised if somewhere down the road one day they, they censor me or cut me off. And, and it won't shock me. It, I, I pray that that won't happen, but I think it is possible. That's what they'll begin to do. They'll say, you're, you're, look. Did you hear this week what um, there is a, a discussion going on in Congress about shutting down conservative television networks and those sorts of things because they say they're not really reporting news. What they're doing is they're pushing an agenda. These people are talking about an agenda being pushed? But they're talking about how they're talking about reviving the... Um, Oh, what is the law that was in the 40s? The Fairness Doctrine. Y'all familiar with the Fairness Doctrine? The Fairness Doctrine in media used to be a, a, a law that said, if you present one side, you have to present the other side, or you can't present either side. That's essentially the Fairness Doctrine. Back in the Reagan era, they did away with that. They said, you can't, you can't hold these networks and radio stations to to that rule and by, by the way it violates freedom of speech now they're talking about bringing it back again to counter a conservative ideology which is now being labeled and you watch this it's going to continue anything biblically conservative culturally conservative is going to be labeled as um as language that is designed to incite 
hostility in people and or to to uh, promote misinformation. And that's the discussion that's going on right now. Now, it's going on with these networks, about these networks, and they're calling them, uh, for example, uh, you have a CNN saying uh, Fox News should be eliminated. Well, gosh, how's that for a business? You say, yeah, they're, they're producing whether you like them or not, but one business tries to put another business out by, you see, absurd. it's so, so absurd. Um, and so I believe we'll see a, a growing kind of hostility toward, I think that's out there in the culture, but that will move to the church. It's already happening on some level. Expect an amendment um, to the Federal Communication Act to prohibit the granting and the renewal of licenses to religious broadcasting stations. That's one of the ways that it can be shut down. Down the road, they'll just say, we're just, because every broadcasting station has to have a license that has been granted to it by the Federal Communication uh, Agency. And so the easy way to shut it down is just say, look, we think you're, what you're propagating is not acceptable in the culture, and so we're just not going to renew your license. And if you don't have a license, you can't broadcast. Uh, legal authority John Price has said the restriction to renewal and licensing would be based upon the argument that the public owns the broadcast spectrum and any license use of any portion of the public spectrum constitutes an impermissible endorsement of religious expression by the government. We shouldn't be surprised as I said, to hear about the uh, re-adoption of the fairness doctrine uh, to uh, enable a really restriction on any kind of, of conservative um, communication. All right, so I think you'll see persecution uh, that way. That's a subtle, soft kind of persecution, but real nonetheless, right? Number two you'll see the elimination of religious contributions, finances. You know, you get a, I'm glad you get a, a tax deduction by giving to charitable organizations, and we're a charitable organization, so your gifts are tax deductible, right? That's why every year you get a tax statement or a giving statement of what you gave to the church, all right? One of the ways that, uh, and I've said this for a long time, that they'll enact a persecution, another soft form of persecution will be to say, you can give to the church, but because the church, the evangelical or the biblical church, does not um, endorse things that are now laws, same-sex marriage, uh, the gender issues, it doesn't affirm those things, it is uh, contrary to uh, laws that have been passed, and so you can't get the benefit of the the IRS deduction because you're already defying current government laws, or you're not affirming them. Does that make sense? And so they, I, I believe we'll see that that they'll uh, try to strip us of that. Now, by the way, you ought to know something about Ridgecrest. That's your tax thing. I've had people say to me since I've been here 20 years, we don't think it's right that a church can be able to go to the to a, a, a place of business and pay for something and not have to pay tax on it, you know, as a, as a 
uh, charitable organization. Let me tell you something. We chose long ago to pay tax. So I, it's always fun to say we pay tax. We pay the same taxes you do. Our organization pays taxes because we want to be good citizens of our community. But now you get a tax deduction for your gift, but when we don't go out and, and I'm not fussing, organizations do. I'm just simply saying we chose a long time ago that if we go down to Sam's Club and buy a bulk load of something, guess what we do? We pay tax on it just like you would. So if anybody ever says that, well, your church doesn't have to pay tax. Yeah, we don't have to, but we do. How about that? That's even better, isn't it? Uh, but I think we'll see the elimination of uh, religious contributions. There's a thing you'll be hearing more about. It's, it's, it's um, the, the current president, with a stroke of his pen, reenacted what's called the Equality Act. Have y'all heard about that? You go read on it. I don't have time to talk about it tonight, but you go read up on it. That act itself will probably be used against us down the road in matters just like what I'm talking about, the Equality Act. It is dangerous uh, because it supposedly is about uh, freedom. But what it really is about saying you're not free to determine what your own beliefs are. You have to accept certain Now, first, let me tell you where it's going first. It's going at, it, will, it will affect Christian universities and private Christian schools. But if it's like the other things, it's a matter of time until it, it comes after the church as well, the Equality Act. Y'all got time? One more. And, and I'll come back with um, a couple more next week. A third will be redefining freedom of speech. It's already happening, isn't it? It's already happening. Um, let, me, let, me, let me see something here. This is all current stuff. Every day. Uh, well, let me, tell you, let, let me tell you something about the Equality Act. Our new president has pledged to sign the Equality Act, which would impose a massive blow to religious liberty. The most recent version of the bill would redefine schools churches, and health care providers as public accommodations. Under that definition, if a house of worship abiding by church teachings, doctrine, refused to provide unisex restrooms for transgender congregates, um, transgender congregants, the organization could lose its tax-exempt status and face excessive punitive damages and other retaliatory measures. All right? share something else with you. Uh, Dictionary.com. Are y'all familiar? Did y'all read George Orwell's book, 1984? How many of you read that? Okay. If you want a chilling picture of where you're living, and this is a novel. I read it in high school. I read it again after I was an adult when I didn't have to read it. And um, uh, this article on dictionary.com has made their biggest update ever. And uh, in Orwell's book, there's a statement that is made that says, by controlling the language, Big Brother, that's government, controls the way that people think. 
With a limited vocabulary, the people are limited in how much they can think as well as what they think about. That's why we should be concerned, the writer goes on to say, about Dictionary.com's biggest update ever. In addition to many new words added are the deeper revisions that document what drives us uh, here at Dictionary. They're, they're saying we've made many new revisions, but we've also, we want you to know what drives us here at Dictionary.com, the ways language uh, are constant, the language is constantly evolving. A great many of these entries we've updated address topics that touch all of us in the most personal levels of race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, health, and wellness. They said, we just updated those, term, those terms. Now, you can figure out what that means, all right, in terms of the update there. So redefining, and I'm going to wrap up here, redefining freedom of speech, hate speech, will be identified by leftists, uh, progressives, and liberals and used as a basis to restrict any expression of opinions or convictions that do not reflect cultural uh, ideology. It's already happened in Canada. I'll share something with you next week about that. A recent just happened two weeks ago uh, there with a church and a pastor. Uh, just a few years ago, some of you remember, I talked about the mayor of Houston who was openly a lesbian, uh, 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 subpoenaed every pastor's sermon in Houston that referenced homosexuality. Now, there was, fortunately, there was an outcry uh, so loud that, that she and the city attorneys had to back off. But think about that. She wanted to know, were there any pulpits where the pastors, and she, they demanded that the pastors turn over their sermons for review that stuff, by the way, is going to get worse. Now, now, I don't know if they'll do that. What they'll do is they'll just, uh, look, gosh, God forbid, but who knows, one day they may just haul us off and just say, you can't keep doing that. We've restricted your tax exemption. Uh, we've taken you off of television and radio, and you still won't shut up. So we're just going to take you to jail. Happened in Canada two weeks ago. And by the way, it's happened several times in Canada where pastors have been uh, arrested. So uh, they'll say, you can't say the things you're saying. I, I mean, and we're, we're hearing that, aren't we? I wrote a column, y'all remember, because I know you read and memorize my columns um, a, a, a few months ago. But I said this in the column. I said, I was writing about, I don't even remember the topic, but I said, for the first time in my life, I want to tell you what I'm not saying before I say what I'm saying. Any of y'all remember that? This is the first time in my life that I have, to, I have to explain this is not what I'm saying because our culture has so sensitized people to say, oh, if you say this, that's what you mean. For the first time in my ministry, Sometimes I find myself saying, I, I need, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, I need to tell you what I'm not going to tell you or what I'm not telling you. That's going to get worse. That's going to get worse. Well, so these are some of the reasons, some of the persecutions that I think we'll see. There's still one more to go. I'll give that to you next week, and then we'll move to the next major point. But um, uh, there will be, there will be, 
persecution. I, I don't know that it'll be head chopping and that kind of stuff. I, I used to would have never believed it, but now I'm not so sure that the day won't come when we'll, it'll be physical. Um, and um, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly pessimistic. I'm just trying to say, look, five years ago, we didn't even think we'd be where we are. You know, and by the way, COVID has produced a culture of dependence upon the government. I didn't say COVID's not real. By the way, there's a new rumor going on in the, in the medical community from what I understand about your pastor. And it is this, that I have now had COVID three times. A doctor asked my wife yesterday, can I ask you something? Uh, I'm hearing from others that Pastor Ray has now had COVID three times. Can, she asked my wife, can, I, could you, can you clarify that for me? Because that's what we're hearing. My wife started laughing said, he's had one time. I said, you should have said, yeah, he's had it three or four times. He's Superman. <laughs> I said, think about that. Or he's got so many antibodies, he's willing to sell them. I mean, think about the absurdity of that. Uh, I don't know how that stuff gets going. I believe it's real. I've had it, okay? But I'll tell you, it has produced a dependent, a culture that is dependent, and I think that has implications down the road where the government says, we're going to take over, we're going to tell you what you got to do. And have you noticed that people have lived in great terror what, what do y'all want us to do? What, what, uh, I, I think it is preparing us for something we don't want down the road, a kind of dependence uh, on uh, government that, that is socialistic and Marxist. Right? Okay. We'll stop there. Uh, y'all depressed? <laughs> I hope not. Hey, look, God's still on our side. And we know persecution comes, whatever comes. We still know how the story ends. Amen? Amen. We're glad for that. Anybody have any questions before we're gone? Uh-huh. Well, and we still got God. <laughs> we still got God. And God makes a majority for anybody see that's what you got to remember and you got to remember nothing that i've talked about tonight is out of his control he doesn't have to surrender to anybody think about that he doesn't have to surrender to anybody but i will tell you i i i, I share it with our staff i i think i posted it I don't post a lot of things. I try to be sane about what I post, but I don't. Um, but I posted something yesterday. I think on. I think it was on Facebook. I posted a statement. I said, "Look, Jesus Christ offers us an opportunity for life, but He never gives us an option for neutrality. You've you've got to respond to Him. He never says, "Well, you know, it's not." A, Jesus always says. You got to respond. You can't be neutral. In fact, he even said, uh, "You know, I'll spew you out of my mouth." 
I don't like that lukewarm stuff. And I think that's what we're going to see more of. And so why have I been teaching so intently and so long on this? I really believe I have a responsibility to prepare my sheep. I, I really think, look, we may, uh, we, we, can't, we may not stop any of this. We may not see a revival, but we need to be prepared so that that day doesn't take you by surprise, Jesus said. And, um, and we may not see it in our lifetime. But we never, never thought we'd be seeing the things we're seeing in our lifetime. It pick, it's picking up speed. It's picking up speed. So stay close to Jesus. I'm mentoring. I'm mentoring. Uh, I want to say he's a young man. He's about 40. Uh, everybody gets younger as you get older, don't they? Uh, he said to me today, we had a session today, and uh, he said to me, he said, Pastor, you got any good word for me? I said, yeah, stay close to Jesus. <laughs> he started laughing. I said, and you can quote me on that. You know, and he started laughing. I said, that's as profound a thing as I can tell you, stay close to Jesus. You know what I'd say to you, church? Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the champion, the victor. Stay close to Jesus. It may get tough, but I'll tell you something. If it's going to get tough, you want to be next to Jesus. Amen?